Now, I was giving a talk to the Centre for Institutional Investors, and, and it was on the subject of ESG. Does divestment from emissions-intensive firms reduce emissions? These authors find that uh, raising the cost of capital to these firms actually increases their emissions. What's happening is it's being driven politically, and that's kind of just turning into a for at least from my observation, into a pretty unhelpful set of bureaucratic instincts set up by standards bodies, counting bodies. Everyone's producing these reports. They're caught in a, a kind of a cascade of, of accountability, if you like, or pretend accountability. They're trying to persuade their members that they're doing the right thing. Welcome to Policy Provocations with me, Nicholas Gruen, and my colleague, Jean Tunney. Uh, and uh, we are going to talk about uh, a magical three letters, ESG. Jean. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, hello, Nicholas. And uh, hello, uh, if you're watching, uh, good to be yeah. to be back doing Policy Provocations. Nicholas, you've recently given a, given a talk to some investors, haven't you, on ESG, and you had some thoughts on this whole concept of ESG and how it's applied. Would you be able to take us through that, please? Sure. So um, if you listen to one of the most recent episodes of Free Economics, you will find a an episode which follows the work of two uh, US academics, and they ask the question, uh, does divestment from emissions-intensive firms reduce emissions. Now, you might think it would, but uh, their analysis leads you to believe that it doesn't. Now, I think both you and I, Gene, would have been pretty quick to say that just passing the parcel so that we don't fund that thing, but the next capitalist to come along to invest in it will fund it. It doesn't give us as economists a lot of faith that we're achieving very much. It looks like it, it, it looks, according to their work, that it's worse than that. Uh, because if you starve in uh, to the extent that you're successful at all, you're successful by raising the cost of capital to highly emissions-intensive firms. And emissions-intensive firms are 282 times as emissions-intensive as the, 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 the bottom quintile, the most emissions-intensive, emit 282 times as much carbon as the top quintile into whom we're going to invest. And if you ask the question, how we, you know, how are we going to get those emissions down if they're making aluminium or steel or something like that, then one of the obvious things we need them to do is we need them to invest in new technology, in inventing it or in applying it. And if we raise the cost of capital to those firms, they won't invest in new technology. And so these authors find that that is in fact the case and that uh, raising the cost of capital to these firms actually increases their emissions. Now, I was giving a talk to the Centre for Institutional Investors, and these are and and it was on the subject of ESG. ESG stands for Environment, Social, and Governance, a, a kind of an institutionalisation of an old uh, concept like the triple bottom line that firms should think about their enviro environmental impact their social impact, and, and the way they are governed. So these people, are, the, and, and this is on behalf of super funds. Now, what we know 
is that about half of investors in super funds say that they do want the super funds to be ethical. Of course, it's easy. that's an easy thing to say in their investments. Uh, and another 25% sort of kind of agree, but they're a little, they, they feel a little less strongly. So they feel this as a need. They feel this as something they want to provide their, their members. So they try to ask themselves, well, how could we invest to be simpatico with what most people think is a good idea, which is to lower emissions? And many of them end up in these positions where they run what's called a negative filter. And they say, well, if you're emitting a large amount of money, uh, sorry, a large amount of emissions, uh, we won't invest in you. Now, another problem with that is you end up investing in banks and companies and consultants and companies that aren't necessarily doing great things. They're just doing them with white collars on. Um, so, So they're caught in a dilemma because one of the most plausible things you can say to your members is we're not investing in high emissions firms and yet maybe if we want to lower emissions that's what we should be doing and we should be uh, another strategy for instance is the strategy of a of an organization called engine number one which invested in exxon mobil with a view to rating basically to turning up at their annual general meeting and replacing board members for ExxonMobil. And they managed to do this really not because of their own shareholding, but because their own quite measly $15 million shareholding in ExxonMobil gave them a stake in then going to talk to BlackRock and some really big institutional investors. And they made a big difference to ExxonMobil. And ExxonMobil is now less of a climate denier than it was and more interested in trying to make money out of the climate transition. Now, uh, the the ESG managers, the easiest thing for them to do is to just say, we're not investing in emissions-intensive firms. And that's, in fact, you know, if you think about the divestment campaigns for university endowments and things like investments in university endowments, they're all based on this kind of logic. So I put to them that they're caught in a, a kind of a cascade of of accountability, if you like, or pretend accountability. They're trying to persuade their members that they're doing the right thing. And what I said to these ESG people is, I think you should get a sample of your members and pay them to... Uh, so, so you might have a 100,000 members, you randomly select 25 of them, you pay them to give you a day a month on the weekend to get briefed on this stuff, to talk among themselves, and to tell you how they would handle these dilemmas. And that means that you escape from this theatricality, that you escape from this way in which plausible ideas get embraced, and then we pretend that, they, that then you become part of the propaganda effort to tell people that, that this is all working out well. And it's not working out well. You're actually papering over you're actually papering over the problems. So I, it's, it's a long explanation, but that's the, yeah. that's the presentation. That's what I was saying. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, that, that study you mentioned, that's fascinating. So it could actually be worse. I mean, I, I was thinking, well, it might not achieve anything because yep. there are going to be other people who will invest in these that's right. uh, that's you know, right. mining companies, the ones that are mining coal or whatever. And, yep. and look, 
the reality is if you weren't invested in energy and commodities and coal or oil and gas last year, you missed a huge amount of That's gains, right? right? That's and right. so you did your members a disservice, right? That's so if right. you're a super fund. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yes. And, um, yeah. And, and you can uh, then, then your members, I guess, are supposed to say, yes, we know it did us a disservice, but that was what we were signing up for when we wanted you to be ethical. And the real kicker is that you weren't being ethical. Um, you yeah. were pretending. So you're talking about uh, funds where it's got an explicit investment mandate that they have to. There's an ESG. I'm also yeah. To it. I'm talking about them, but it turns out I sort of this was a bit new to me. It, you know, this is a much bigger craze than just the ethical investment folks. Um, it's pretty much taken over the world now. Exactly how they apply their those mandates is is not they're not applying the mandates as, as strongly. As a as a fund that markets itself as in, as ethical investment, but but m- uh, most mainstream funds take this ESG business seriously. There are standards for reporting on ESG, um, uh, and, and in a way, you know what really. As I thought more about this, one one of the things is my friend's a bit of a I told you so moment. We, the, there are many problems in the world for which we don't have near-perfect policy solutions, but greenhouse isn't one of them. Because greenhouse, we have carbon taxes, we have carbon pricing, and carbon pricing solves these problems because it basically says, if you want to emit, it's going to cost you more. And then you see the colour of people's money. Then ExxonMobil, you don't have to... Uh, the, the, then the normal incentives of minimising cost drive this whole thing. Now, what's happened is that because it is so easy to weaponize carbon pricing politically, again, this is all about how easy it is to bamboozle the public in many ways. Because it's so easy to run a negative campaign against carbon pricing, partly because it makes the costs transparent, the world has now built its entire strategy for reducing carbon emissions on guess what nice sounding statements Mm. Uh, and statements that are made by people holding offices who will not hold those offices when those statements are not don't come true uh you couldn't kind of make this up yeah Uh, who are you talking about specifically there because you're talking are you talking about people in corporations or in super funds or are we talking about politicians because all I mean one of them, them all of all them of and them. they all okay. have a different they all have a different set of behavioral characteristics but none of them are perfect um whereas none of them the the, the relationship between what people say and what they do well gee that's a bit of a problem for human beings all around that's one of the arguments for saying um Let's price things because you know that the people who save on emissions will also save money and, and people will admire them for it and they will want to do more of it. And the whole thing is, as economists say, incentive compatible. But to take you so, firstly, you've got the politicians. Now, politicians say one thing and do the opposite within weeks if they <laughs> want to make it more respectable within a few years. Paul Keating tells us. That the GST, and I'm not being moralistic about this. Paul Keating tells us that the GST is necessary if we're to escape being a banana republic. 
And then he describes it as a giant new tax that will come and monster everyone in Australia. Um, uh, Tony Abbott tells us that if he was getting, if he was trying to uh, reduce carbon emissions, he wouldn't be pussyfooting around with silly regulation and and um, renewable subsidies. He'd be introducing carbon pricing until he's opposing carbon pricing, and so on it goes. And and Donald Trump will say different things in the morning and the afternoon. Um, so that's the politicians. The, uh, the, the, the managers will, managers are a kind of politician or they're a, uh, you know, they're in a bureaucracy. They, 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 um, there are lots, you, you've worked in a public bureaucracy, managers are in a private or a public bureaucracy and they put a large amount of store in reassuring people Having the you know giving people the feeling that the adults are in the room, everything's under control. Nothing could be further from the truth. The the transition to zero carbon, even the transition to about less than forty percent of what we're emitting now, has got lots of gets more and more magic asterisks as mm-hmm. we go on. Magic bits of technology we're going to invest, what we're going to invent. Um, well, I'm not I'm not being critical of anyone because that's the best we can do, uh, given that we've ditched carbon pricing, although that will come back. Um, but uh, then at the bottom of all this, you've got people who are voters and they won't accept that it's their responsibility who they vote for. They love the idea that they're getting ripped off by these politicians who lie to them, but they don't ask themselves, why do the politicians lie to them? Because if they don't lie to them, they won't vote for them. If the politicians come out and say, well, actually, we all know that carbon pricing is the way to reduce emissions, uh, then they won't vote for those people. They'll vote for the people who say, oh, no, I'll do it all without carbon pricing. Um, so so it's a big house of cards. It's not it's the wrong metaphor because it won't totally collapse, but there is something about it that lacks integrity and will end in, a, will end in tears to a substantial extent. Yeah, look, okay, I, I think... I understand what your argument is with ESG and you want to get more uh, input from the members to really understand their, you know, where they're coming from, what they'd like to see, their understanding of the trade-offs. Just on carbon pricing, I think we might have to have that discussion another time or because there's a, there's a whole debate about carbon pricing. Yeah. I agree. If, if we are going to do something about climate change, then yeah, definitely carbon pricing is the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's a major. A... It's a major part of the solution. It's yeah. not the whole solution, but if that's what we're trying to do, it's a major part of the solution. The one reservation I'd have in <laughs> for Australia, if, like if you think about Australia, and is it optimal for us to adopt it? If other countries don't adopt it, yeah, sure, sure. Well, that's not, clear. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, that's right. But we can then adopt a domestic carbon price. So that's a design. I look at that as a design feature. So. Australian consumers should pay a carbon price. Whether the exporters of Australian energy should pay a carbon price is something we can we can defer to the design stage, if you like. I agree that that's an issue. Right. Okay. You, yes, you, I think. Yeah, but you would agree, wouldn't you, that Australian consumers should pay a carbon price if we cut taxes elsewhere? Uh, oh well, yeah. Hang on, hang on. I, I suppose. But that's you're imposing a an ideological or a yeah an ideological preference. I mean, I'm just trying to yes, address that. 
Uh, so, yeah. So I, you know, I've got my preferences. I'd like to use the yeah. revenue to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm not going to say, mm-hmm. oh, well, I don't want to do it if you can't, I can't use the money in the way that I want. Yeah, yeah. Conceptually, I agree that, yeah, the, the, the best way to tackle climate change is via a, a carbon <laughs> price. I wouldn't want to impose it and, and make our industries worse yeah. off. And you're arguing that, yeah, yeah the, the way to, to stop that or that leakage, whatever they call it, when the industries go to other countries is by you having yeah. an exemption of some kind. So yeah. there's some design issues there. That's that, right. Okay, That's right. Yeah. I, mean, I just don't want to that, – that is a, a genuine issue that needs to be sorted out by the international community. It, you can make a pretty reasonable attempt to do so at the at the unilateral level if you have to. It's not as good as a multilateral solution, um, but that's a separate issue. Mm. Okay, I didn't mean to distract us from the the discussion of ESG because I'm I'm interested in what you, this mechanism is. You're talking about a what is it a, a group or a, a sample or a yeah a yeah random it's a sample. Correction. So think of a think yeah. of a jury, uh, and you sample from your membership in such a way that it is representative of the membership. So you look at the age profile, some demographics, and then you try and produce some replication of that in this otherwise random sample. Now, I think that the what that, what that group can do is it can become aware on behalf of the members of these dilemmas. And they're very deep dilemmas because um, you really get a governance problem. Any mug can say, oh, we're investing in all these high emissions companies in which every time we turn up to the AGM and we say they should lower their emissions. <laughs> no, no. But that's not serious. So if you want to go in this more bona fide direction, you ra- it raises important governance questions. It raises questions about communicating to your members that you really are doing your best. Um so that's one way to involve the members. I also think that at the moment, what we have is we have a thing called the sole purpose test, which it makes a lot of sense, which is to say, you get various concessions to invest in super. And even if you don't, we force you to invest in these pension funds or superannuation funds. Um, so we don't want you to invest in a holiday home where you'll get some benefit from this in your investment fund. It has to be for the sole purpose of your retirement. But let but, but a lot of people don't mind the idea of they like in fact I'll go further. They like the idea that they will be investing in their community, they'll be investing in things that will be good for their kids and so on. So I would be very happy so one thing that a fund might do in this model, according to me, and it would actually require some change in the legislation. But one thing that a fund might do is you might, the ESG folks might take uh, to this council, they might, the, the ESG governors, the people running the ESG might say, look, this is really very hard and we're not sure if this is achieving much. Uh, but we do think that there are a whole lot of ways we can spend money um, and it may not be, it may not get us commercial returns but we're prepared to put 1% of your portfolio into some you know into funds that will improve um, the community for your children and your grandchildren our calculations are this won't reduce your returns by more than this amount but it needs to be something that you want to do uh, yeah. i think that would be very healthy and it would introduce a different kind of collective institution and collective decision making into 
our world and um, and our use of capital. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounds like a, a reasonable idea. And what was the reception like at that conference? Uh, I'd been invited to. I mean, I didn't go to that last point, but I've been invited to invited back to talk to CEOs about it. These were just okay. So, so there was a lot of enthusiasm because a lot of these. ES, in fact, I don't think there were any. There's there are virtually no managers of ESG who aren't sitting around, really quite perturbed by the fact that they're sort of putting on a show for the public, and when they when they read the literature and they think about what they're doing, they're not at all sure that this is a great idea. And it's 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 growing bureaucracy in all directions. There are stand- really- international standards of what you report. Uh, it's 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 hard graft to um, to connect up profit seeking with community development. It's a worthwhile objective. It, we don't understand it very well conceptually, but what's happening is it's being driven politically, and that's kind of just turning into a, for at least from my observation, into a, into a pretty unhelpful set of bureaucratic instincts set up by standards bodies, counting bodies. Everyone's producing these reports, um, and I think the agenda is. I'm not poo-pooing it. It'd be easy to take the a fairly standard sort of public choice uh, critique of this and say it's all rubbish. Um, I think it's clear that there are good things about it, but then we have to take it seriously. And it should at least it should at least take the public choice criticism of it seriously enough to do the best job of this that it can. Okay, and it's about introducing some economic logic into uh, no, not the necessarily. ESG discussion. I, I would say, no, well, I would say it's about a different mode of governance. Instead of a mode of governance which has a bunch of consumers and then a bunch of people who are managing a system and marketing to the consumers, you actually say to the consumers, these are difficult questions. We want to invest in a random sample of you guys to help us run this agenda because that's a going to be useful b it's going to give what we do real legitimacy we won't be putting on a show for you we will be trying to do what it is that you want us to do and every other system and and all of our systems default back to what i call the puppet show and i showed them (laughs) i don't know whether you've seen many people have seen the film sound of music in which julie andrews and the kids put on a puppet show for Captain Von Trapp and his girlfriend at the time. And I say, the public are out here, Captain Von Trapp and the and, and the, your members are out here. Um, ESG is the puppet show and you're up here, Julie Andrews and the kids, putting on a show and you actually know that there's a fair bit of unreality to this show. Get the, get the audience behind, show them what you're doing and ask them what they want. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Oh. Uh, very good. The uh, yeah, the Baroness uh, was his girlfriend at the time, if the, I remember. The and was Baroness, it the, the, yeah, the Baroness yeah. gets, the sh- gets shafted. It, it wouldn't be a nice role to have as the Baroness because the Baroness has to be kind of pretty gold-digging, vacuous, easily dispatched by the um, the sweet, innocent Julie Andrews, Maria oh, yeah. Trap. Who, yes. The real Maria von Trapp looks extraordinarily like my aunt, I can, who was V&E oh, as right. well. So 
That is a remarkable fact for you. Very good. Okay, Nicholas, I thought that was terrific. Okay. Uh, another application of uh, sortition yep. of your random selection yep. in, on, in, on an, to an important policy issue. So yep. uh, great work. Yep. Okay, good.